This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning. It's nice to see so many of you here. Happy New Year again. So last week, which was the first meeting we had after New Year's, after the beginning of 2021, um, head teacher, Mako Vokal, gave a talk and she spoke of how Zen temples, including ours, traditionally mark the new year. And she said, you know, we clean normally, right? When we're not in pandemic conditions, <laughs> we clean and we eat noodles together, noodles that are long and unbroken and represent long life. Um, we sit together, we renew our vows and confess our karma in the full moon bodhisattva ceremony. We ring the temple bell 108 times as midnight arrives traditionally, and we toast the new year. And we also write down anything that we want to release on slips of paper and we burn them in a bonfire. That's what we usually do. And that's what temples all over the world, Zen temples, Soto Zen temples all over the world do um, in a quote unquote normal year. And we did the best we could with, with what the conditions that we had. And we kept to the essentials of sitting and chanting, greeting each other and releasing what we, what had come to awareness as things to release. And, you know, Mako spoke of resolutions and uh, asked us, you know, how many of us are in the habit of making resolutions? And I was struck with how few of us do that. Maybe, maybe it's because we've tried and it hasn't worked. <laughs> um, why do we make resolutions? Why don't we make resolutions? We talked about that. And she also brought up uh, Dogen's words to his Sangha, his, his monks, um, on the occasion of New Year. And in one that she quoted, he, Dogen, um, cited the koan, is there Buddha Dharma in the New Year? And we talked about how we're always looking for a kind of, of line, you know, like some marker. If we can just get across this, get to or get through or get across this line, then things will be different. You know, if we can get through the next election, uh, the next promotion, uh, a move, if we can just get to the new year. And in the, in the breakout group I was in, we talked about how arbitrary <laughs> these benchmarks really are and how they often disappoint us. And I, I kind of carried around for a few days that question, what is the Buddha Dharma of this new year? So that's how we started 2021 as a Sangha last weekend, just a week ago. You know, so for my first talk of the new year, I was thinking about what I wanted to say today while carrying this, what is the Buddha Dharma of the new year? And then several things happened this week. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak personally here. Um, the first thing for me is this, individual person was that I heard that an old friend, um, a friend whose name is Christina, who was a comrade of mine in the, my first real job 
my first real academic job in the 1990s, so we're going back a ways now, Christina had been diagnosed with late stage pancreatic cancer. And she had only just begun to exhibit systems, uh, symptoms. It came as, as is the way of pancreatic cancer. Once you discover you have it, it's usually advanced. And this friend, Christina, had already experienced a great bodily trauma 17 years ago, when at the age of 50, she crashed her bike and severed her spine, leaving her in a wheelchair and essentially quadriplegic for the rest of her life. And Christina had been one of the most vital, energetic, smart, clear, and incisive persons that I knew. And the entire community that we worked in was so, so shocked by her accident 17 years ago. Um, and she had faced this injury with great courage and determination to remain in some way herself, a, a scholar and a teacher. And then pancreatic cancer 17 years later. And a few days only after hearing the news of the diagnosis, which was made just before the new year, I heard that she had died. And I was stunned. You know, it seemed so very hard to accept that this person, or any person, but this one that was dear to me, had had uh, two such terrible things happen. <clears throat> You know, both of which, either one of which would have been devastating, but to have two. And the strange thing was that just before I heard about Christina's diagnosis, you know, I haven't been in touch with her directly for quite some time, but people live in us. Um, just before her I heard about the diagnosis, I had suddenly and randomly <laughs> appeared, randomly noticed her book which was a memoir written about her experience <clears throat> of inhabiting a new and to her alien body after her accident. She spent six months in a hospital and more months in rehab. I noticed this book sitting in a large bookcase, you know, and I don't know why it stood out to me so many months after I had put it there. It's not a book that I pick up and refer to, you know, on a daily basis by any means. And then after I heard about her diagnosis, I came across um, this card, I'm gonna hold it up, um, which I received in a year-end mailing from the San Francisco Zen Center. And I thought I had lost this card in our move. I couldn't find it for months after we arrived here last year. But it showed up kind of like in the churn of random stuff and a pile of stuff I hadn't actually really organized yet. I hadn't had a moment uh, to think, what am I going to do with this pile of cards? So it reappeared. And coincidentally, or maybe not coincidentally, um, this card, which, which says gratitude, in case you couldn't read it, um, this card um, 
was something that was sent to the San Francisco Zen Center membership after the death of the central abbot of Zen Center, Myogen Steve Stuckey, known to everybody as Abbot Steve. Um, he died in a very short time after a diagnosis of, yes, pancreatic cancer. Gratitude was one of Myogen's core practices. And after his diagnosis with only months to live, he gave a talk to the Zen Center community, the San Francisco Zen Center community, in which he announced his diagnosis with great calm and even some humor and with courage and even some curiosity. And in that talk, he said that he had for a while been waking up and immediately upon waking up, saying the word, uh, this word, gratitude. And then he said the question would arise for him. The question was, gratitude for what? And that what is the thing that he was at that moment. And he said in the talk, this is a quote, pancreatic cancer is the thing to be grateful for now. And then he said, this life is completely beyond judgment or preference. Now, this is quite some practice. <laughs> and I realized then the, these, these coincidences, these threads that seem to come together in the first days of this year, that what I wanted to try to talk about today was gratitude. And then as I was coming to the realization that I wanted to think and speak about gratitude, and the day after I heard from, I heard about my friend Christina's death from this terrible disease, the Capitol was stormed. And the day after that, Sojin Mel Weitzman, the former abbot of San Francisco Zen Center, as we just heard and, and for whom we just chanted, he finally passed from this life at the age of 91 after a diagnosis last summer of bile duct cancer. And we have been dealing with a pandemic for almost a year. And the calendrical new year has not brought a magical reversal of all of these conditions, right? People are dying. Our friends and teachers are dying and our society is reeling. So what about gratitude? Somehow for me, this is what emerged as the Buddha Dharma of the new year, as I've been saying. How can we be grateful for a year long pandemic, for cancer, for violence and delusion in our society? How do we cultivate gratitude without it being one of these things that gets so popularized, like mindfulness, that it's a t-shirt slogan or a greeting card sentiment and we become cynical about it? How can we make it alive as practice? Zenke Blanche Hartman, who is the founder of our temple here, taught gratitude as an experience, not a sentiment. So that's one pointer. So I decided to go and investigate teachings on gratitude specifically, um, knowing that uh, 
Zenke taught this and Myogen taught this and I went back to the Buddha. And the Buddha himself taught gratitude as a necessary aspect of a person of integrity. In several suttas, in fact, the Buddha talked about a person of integrity and how to recognize integrity or lack of it in a person. This is what the Buddha said. Now, what is the level of a person of no integrity? A person of no integrity is ungrateful and unthankful. This ingratitude, this lack of thankfulness is advocated by rude people. It is entirely on the level of people of no integrity. A person of integrity is grateful and thankful. This gratitude, this thankfulness is advocated by civil people. It is entirely on the level of people of integrity. And so this immediately brought up for me the first paramita or virtue, which is of giving, which is one of the main practices of a bodhisattva. In the fact, the fact, the first practice of a bodhisattva, we practice complete generosity with no expectations. And so as a way of teaching gratitude and being a person of integrity or recognizing a person of integrity. So he's always exhorting his monks in these, in these uh, dialogues. The Buddha used parents as a kind of vehicle and a first step of gratitude. And he said, I tell you monks, there are two people who are not easy to repay, which two, your mother and father. Um, and then he says something that's kind of a little shocking. He says, even if you were to carry your mother on one shoulder and your father on the other shoulder for a hundred years and were to look after them by anointing, massaging and bathing and rubbing their limbs, and they were to defecate and urinate right there on your shoulders, you would not in that way pay or repay your parents. If you were to establish your mother and father in absolute sovereignty over this great earth, abounding in the seven treasures, you would not in that way pay or repay your parents. And why is that? Mother and father do much for their children. They care for them. They nourish them. They introduce them to this world. But anyone who arouses an unbelieving mother and father, settles and establishes them in conviction, rouses his unvirtuous mother and father, settles and establishes them in virtue, rouses his stingy mother and father, settles and establishes them in generosity, rouses his foolish mother and father and settles and establishes them in discernment. To this extent, one pays and repays one's mother and father. So we can all think of examples of terrible parents. Maybe we have terrible parents or think we do. But in this way, this is a kind of example of how we repay the universe through our parents for our existence, our unasked for gift of existence, even parents who are stingy, foolish, and so forth. Difficult parents, bad parents. And so from here, all of the teachers in the Mahayana widen our realization of gratitude. The teaching of gratitude is to take this kind of exemplary relationship of our parents who bring us into this life for good or bad, and to realize the gift of our existence. In the Brahmanet Sutra, it is said that a disciple of the Buddha 
should have a mind of compassion and cultivate the practice of liberating sentient beings and must reflect thus. Throughout the eons of time, all sentient beings have been my father, all sentient beings have been my mother. If a bodhisattva sees an animal on the verge of being killed, he must devise a way to rescue and protect it, helping it to escape suffering and death. A disciple should always teach the bodhisattva precepts to rescue and deliver sentient beings. So this is what the Buddha urges his disciples to do. Dogen, who is the founder of our way of Zen, continually expressed his gratitude for the teaching and for all beings. So the Buddha spoke of sentient beings, that we should also regard them as our parents, and Dogen widened this further. He, uh, Tigen puts it like this, Tigen Dan Layton, a, a disciple of Reb Anderson, um, who's written extensively about Dogen's teaching. Tigen says that Dogen saw the, uh, a necessity for awakened realization of receiving support and strength from a variety of what are apparently other sources and the importance of sincere devotional gratitude to these benefactors. But by other, Tigen um, means that we do not accomplish the way solely by our own efforts or by ourselves. He says that Dogen regularly expressed deep gratitude to all the Buddhas and ancestors for transmitting the teaching and he invokes their support for our practice. So the Buddhas and ancestors become included in our family and our practice is their gift. And then Dogen continues to widen this family, both human and non-human. In a poem he wrote, Dogen, those folks who stay around in delusion here and there within the six realms are actually my fathers and my mothers. Right? So the Sangha and all persons are my fathers and mothers, says uh, Dogen. Other people are our parents, as intimate as that. We are in an interdependent relationship with them, even the unskilled and deluded. And uh, in another of his teachings in the Zui Monkey, uh, a teaching that is called the Zui Monkey, an early teaching, Dogen makes this particularly explicit. And he says this about ordained monks who have left home, but I think we can apply it to practitioners such as ourselves. He says that monks abandon their debt of gratitude to parents and, renter, and enter the realm of non-doing. Mu-i is the, is the Japanese, non-doing. Within the family of non-doing, says Dogen, the manner of paying off the debt of gratitude should not be limited to one particular person. Considering that we have debts of gratitude to all living beings, just as we do to our fathers and mothers, we must transmit all the merits of our good deeds throughout the Dharma worlds. This is how we do not go against the way of non-doing. In our continuous day-to-day -day practice and moment-to-moment -moment study, simply following the Buddha way is the true way of fulfilling our duty to our parents, our filial piety. We should see that our debts of gratitude to all living beings are as important as the debt to our own parents. So as in so many ways in Buddhist teaching, you know, it expands. And in the Mahayana, we unfold, 
you know, the original teaching of the Buddha and widen and widen and widen the scope of it. And gratitude is not an exception to this. Now, in his last talk entitled Gratitude, which is, by the way, available on the San Francisco Zen Center website of talks, and if you haven't listened to it, I recommend, I recommend it. In this talk, he quoted Dogen as well. And this is how he widened his own gratitude facing this diagnosis. Dogen said, the entire earth is the true human body. This entire earth is a kind of source of other power, right? A way in which we are not alone and don't do things by ourselves. Tigan says, Tigan Layton, the world is a Buddha field for us because we are in a mutual interconnected relationship. Dogen regards the phenomenal world as awakened awareness, a dynamic living force unfolding Buddha nature. There it is, there's Buddha nature. This is the most profound understanding of the Bodhisattva path. And Zenke Blanche Hartman came to her most profound understanding and experience of gratitude, the actual experience of it rather as, a, as an experience and not a sentiment. When she saw the shoots of daffodils coming up in the early spring at Tassajara, and then watched the, uh, day by day as the flowers appeared. She said, quoting her now, here was effort without desire right in front of me all the time, just letting the flower of the life force bloom right here, right now, wholeheartedly, and with nothing held back, giving ourselves completely to whatever arises right in front of us moment after moment. That's the end of that quote. So in facing his fate, which is sooner or later, all our fates, Abbot Steve said that we are signing up for grief, but just by being human beings, we are signing up for loss, signing up for being a human being, he said, but beyond the dualism of me and you. So it's not that we deny grief or loss, but we go beyond to the non-duality of you and me. He says, not to try to cut anything off and to deeply consider how to take care of this moment, this moment that's within the realm of care, always an expression, expression, excuse me, of completeness that goes beyond birth and death as separate things. You know, we tend to think of birth and then we live life and then there's death and it ends life. But Zen teaches us, Buddhism teaches us that that's not the correct way of looking at things. So what is the Buddha Dharma of the new year? And to my surprise, what's coming up for me is gratitude. Can it be gratitude? Can we move beyond enumerating the things that we are grateful for, which I do all the time as a way of kind of encouraging myself, shelter, food, not having COVID, can we move beyond that to really experiencing gratitude as the truth of Buddha nature? Completely connected, no self, no other. The truth of Buddha nature as impermanence. We live each day as New Year's Day, a new and unrepeatable day. 
each moment as an unrepeatable moment in the new year. Blanche said, quoting Suzuki Roshi, and one of her favorite quotes, just to be alive is enough. So am I grateful, as in happy, that Christina died as she did? I am not happy, but I am grateful for Christina. I am grateful to Christina. I am grateful for the causes and conditions that brought us together. I am grateful that I met Sojin Roshi and he was among my teachers. He is among my teachers. He is alive in all of us, whether we are aware of it or not. I am grateful for the ungrateful people of no integrity who broke into the halls of Congress and showed us what no integrity and integrity can look like. They taught us about it. They're helping to teach us. I am grateful that the last four years or 400 years as they manifest here and now teach us about the truth of no separation. That everyone is our mother and father. Everyone is Sangha and the great earth is the true human body. You know, Myogen Abbot Steve closed his talk with this teaching. He expressed what Dogen taught as giving, closely related to gratitude, beyond judgment, as our enlightened and enlightening activity. <clears throat> um, one of my favorite quotes of Dogen that I was able to track down for today um, is this. He said, if you study giving closely, you see that to accept a body and to give up a body are both giving. Making a living and producing things can be nothing other than giving. To leave flowers to the wind, to leave birds to the seasons are also acts of giving. And giving and gratitude come up together. So thank you, Christina. Thank you, Sojin. Thank you, Abbot Steve. Thank you, Abbas Blanche. Gratitude for this unasked for, unrepeatable life in all its impermanence, inseparable from everything we love and hate and fear and hold close. And I'd like to share with you a poem by a great teacher, but not a Zen teacher, by W.S. Merwin. Probably many of you know it but it's called Thanks. Here's the poem. Listen, with the night falling, we are saying thank you. We are, stop we are stopping on the bridges to bow from the railings. We are running out of the glass rooms with our mouths full of food to look at the sky and say thank you. We are standing by the water, thanking it standing by the windows, looking out in our directions, back from a series of hospitals, back from a mugging. After funerals, we are saying thank you. After the news of the dead, whether or not we knew them, we are saying thank you. Over telephones, we are saying thank you. In doorways and in the backs of cars and in elevators, 
remembering wars and the police at the door and the beatings on stairs, we are saying thank you. In the banks, we are saying thank you. In the faces of officials and the rich and of all who will never change, we go on saying thank you, thank you. With the animals dying around us, taking our feelings, we are saying thank you. With the forests falling faster than the minutes of our lives, we are saying thank you. With the words going out like cells of a brain, with the cities growing over us, we are saying thank you faster and faster. With nobody listening, we are saying thank you. And thank you, we are saying and waving, dark though it is. That's the poem. I think we should remember that we only have darkness because we have light. Light and dark are like forward and backward steps as Dobin says. And that's all I have to say, but I welcome anything you have to say or share. Bruce. Choro, thank you so much. There was a lot in there and um, I appreciate it speaking. I appreciate your vulnerability in bringing up your own experience. But more than that, I think it, it, what you said speaks to where we collectively are right now. Um, and it strikes me that how, how intricately gratitude and grief can, can be intertwined. You know, I, I, I have a lot of, like, I can't separate them. Like I feel both at once. And it's, 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 it's helpful to have that acknowledged. The other thing I wanted to say was simply that, um, and some of you may know this already, but I, I, I know personally that gratitude can be a practice, uh, is, is a habit that can be cultivated. And so I'll just put this out there as a suggestion or something to consider that for the past almost three years, I have had, I mean, we call this, it's my, my friend is not Buddhist, but we call this our gratitude practice, um, where very simply, we, we commit to emailing each other every day, at least one thing that we're grateful for. And it's, I mean, there's, there's a particular context for me, it's someone that I've known for 30 years. So we have a history um, and, and, it, and it cultivates that connection and it rests within that connection. But um, I'm not simply saying, hey, this is a good thing to do, I, what I want, to convey is that for me, it, it ranks right up there with all the other things that I do that I lump together as self-care. You know, this, it, it's as important to me as, as, as running, journaling, sitting in, in some respects, because it, it's, it has the potential to shift perspective. Um, we, we, in particular, there's, there's a, there's a subcategory of this that we among ourselves call the gratitude within the complaint. You know, <laughs> so even when something really crappy happens, like it's, you know, I, I think the, the traditional formulation for that is a silver lining, but gratitude in the complaint, I think <laughs> sounds a lot better to me or works, you know, resonates more with me because, it's, uh, well, at least there's one thing that didn't suck about this, or at least there's one lesson, um, 
or at least one thing to, to kind of hold on to. So anyway, I just, I, if, if any of you have anyone in your life that you might approach with that kind of thing, it's, it's the, the format is so simple. One thing every day. And uh, you might be surprised as I was at how it infiltrates moment to moment, like, like what you see and what you feel. So thank you again. Thank you, Bruce. Yeah, if you go out on the internet, there's all kinds of resources about how to cultivate gratitude, whether it's a Buddhist practice or a Christian practice. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a fundamental teaching of, of, uh, of many religions. And, you know, it's, it, it's kind of a fundamental thing. So it's a wholesome practice. And I think, you know, it also falls under a little bit fake it till you make it, just cultivating it can bring it about as a genuine experience. But one thing I really liked about Myogen's uh, practice of just saying gratitude is then he allowed things to come to him. And uh, I think it became less and less specific as I'm grateful for X, which is kind of how I always do this. I am grateful for you. I'm grateful for practice. I'm grateful for my good health. You know, we, we tend to give gratitude an object Right? That's how we think. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't, I don't believe there's anything wrong with that. But I think what we're kind of called to do by regarding everything as ourselves, you know, is the ultimate, not separate from ourselves, is to, is to experience this as just gratitude for being, gratitude as being, not for anything, you know. And when I read that, that experience of Blanche at Tassajara, noticing the shoots coming up, um, when, the, when the fires were burning in California one year and I was so taken with dread and grief, you know, for the forests and all the creatures in them and the people and who were breathing that air and it was really, it reached a, a terrible, terrible fever pitch this year, but even before this year. You know, I thought about the trees that, that are singed but continue to live. I thought about life returning to the forest as it, as it does, even if some creatures and trees die. And I thought, they don't give up. Life doesn't give up, even when it looks like we, what we see is destruction and we feel grief. And it, why should I give up? Am I better than a tree? Do I know better than a tree or a shoot in the forest? You know, the animals that come back, do I know better than that, that I should quit, you know, that I should be ungrateful, that I should give in to despair. And that was my, that was the breaking open for me of trust and gratitude, just gratitude. <clears throat> it doesn't make everything okay, but it helps, you know, to have that kind of sense that, you know, we accept a body and we give up a body. And to have a body and to be a human being is to be there for the whole mess. <laughs> and, to, and to be there with other beings. You know, my altar is very cluttered right now. I also have a, a card up for a friend of mine who died of ALS just about two years ago at, at the age of 62. The older I get, the more these things accumulate. Yeah, thank you, Bruce. Pat? I... Uh, I loved your talk, Toro. Thank you. 
I think the big takeaway for me, and you just sort of used the word standing up to life, um, and that from your the poem, the poem that you read, is it seems like like what you were saying most of the time is that just be there for your life, you know, just standing up to life and fully experiencing your life is is in itself gratitude. Um, do you think that is a true uh, uh, reflection of your talk? I think you said it better than I did. <laughs> I, I think that the, yeah, I think that actually being there for this, for for your life, you know, which which of course sounds like oh yeah, that's what we're do we're trying to do as as Buddhist practitioners. This is what presence, 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 you know be there, wake up for this moment. Um, how do we do that? And I think not, I think not showing up for our lives is also checking out on everything else and everyone else kind of fundamentally. So I don't want to abandon people I love, the country I love, the practice I love. And so fundamentally it's on me to be there. To be to be there for what, however it shows up. And by the way, I've been raging, you know, for days about what happened on Wednesday at the Capitol. You can ask Bunkai. I have, I, you know, his his words to me at times like that are not priestly. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I am a human being, you know, and ha and I'm caught by these 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 tides of outrage and rejection and I can't believe this is happening and but you know as as the days have gone by and I see the pictures of people I've, I've watched some of the video you know I've listened to some of what happened on Wednesday and I'm filled with with um, it's not exactly compassion but there's something where I'm not not recognizing those people in the capital as me you know it's like we, we keep hearing, this is not us. We're, we are not this. We're better than this. We're not, obviously. <laughs> it happened. It is happening. It's gonna continue to happen. So not separating even from the thing I'm most afraid of. Mary. You know, the thing that really unnerved me was a photo, I mean, the whole Wednesday debacle, about the Wednesday debacle. I mean, that, that was having been active duty military and stationed in the Pentagon and, you know, having um, sort of like walked those halls with uh, reverence. The thing that really struck me was the photograph of a gentleman with a Confederate flag walking in front of the picture of uh, Charles Sumner, Representative Sumner um, in the um, Capitol building. And I don't know if many of you know that he was a center who was, um, uh, he wrote, he was an abolitionist and he wrote um, this book about uh, the Kansas territories and uh, not and, and anti he wrote this anti-slavery book and 
one of the Southern other legislators, when Charles Sumner was on the floor of the Senate, actually took a cane and caned him near to death on the floor of the Capitol. And this was in the, this was like right around, you know, the civil, civil war times. And I, and I, I thought, how, what mind is so um, using their, that <coughs> brilliance that is to stage a photograph showing in 2021, the Confederate flag and Charles Sumner and what is that message to us? It, which is that I, I, I'm, I'm just, I don't know if the message is the Confederate um, or the, the entities that represent the Confederacy are alive and well, and it's the war is still going on. And if you guys didn't know it, let us announce it now or um, just, I mean, I, I just, that message in, in the face of um, this, that photograph of Charles Sumner, who was a great patriot uh, and, and abolitionist and American, it just, it stunned me. And I'm still resonating that the feelings from that, that picture, because um, it, I mean, it just, it's taking days of processing to, and, and I will still continue to process to understand that the Confederate war is still going on in this country. And if we thought it wasn't, we were mistaken. I mean, that's my message right now, that, that it, it is just cause you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. It's like the, it's like the coronavirus. Just cause you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there, but you feel its impact. So that's how the, virus of the Confederacy is. Although we don't see, or, or there, actually there, there are many signs of the Confederacy that have been retained. And um, it's actually more visible than the coronavirus and it's still here. And uh, there is, is much to be done because we are in, uh, it just seems like we're in a day-to-day, -day, we're, we're at war. And, and, and we want peace, we want peace, we want peace. But how, how do we get there? I mean, that's, and I just pose it as a question because I don't know the answer, but I'm, I'm just um, still stunned. So thank you for listening to my question and allowing me to, to share my stunned feelings with um, you wonderful individual folks. Thank you. Mary, thank you. Um, you know, from my, my own personal experience of that, I had the same or similar feeling. I mean, it came from maybe a different place and a different history than yours, but I was shocked to see that flag inside the Capitol it's the, that never happened before. Several historians have said that is the first time that that flag has been inside the Capitol like that. And um, so my, my 
gratitude for it is that, as you said, it's shown itself, right? Really shown itself. And it got to the heart of where, what we, what we think of as the seat of our government, our self-government. Um, and it's not apart from it. So it's a teaching. And I think the first step for me is saying that happened. You know, now, can I be there with that? And can I find a place to respond from it? You know, to respond to it. And I, I, I personally, and maybe it's my privilege to say, I don't want to be at war. I want peace too. But I think I don't want to be at war with it because it isn't actually separate. It's, in, it's inside, as you said, it's within. So how to work with it? It's just the work of our, it's the work of the beyond our lifetimes, right? It's been going on for a long time and it's gonna continue. So we do the best we can. But you know, my gratitude is the clarity of Wednesday. That's what I'm grateful for. Not for the, not for, for the violence. I mean, people lost their lives. I'm not grateful that they lost their lives, but I'm grateful for the clarity. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Tim. Just wanted to ask you about a phrase you said, I think early in the talk, um, something like this unrequested uh, gift. Is that what you said? I probably did something like that. <laughs> Unasked. I wonder if those were your words or whether those came from somewhere else. They, they touched me, it was uh, quite poetic. Um, I think I, that those were my words, but inspired by what I had been reading and kind of marinating in this week of the teaching yeah. of teachers and trying to, trying to put it into my own, trying to, trying to um, examine my own experience and then find some words for it. You know, I think all of us in our lives have, a, have moments where we say, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't ask to be born. I mean, when we're younger, we say, well, you know, par parents ask us to be a certain way or do certain things we say. Well, you know, I didn't ask to be born, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, and we maybe if we have children, we've heard that, like, you know. Um, and so this kind of uh, metaphor that, or, or, or what's the word, pattern, paradigm that Dogen uses about our parents, about parental, being grateful for our parents, that can be really hard to arouse. And uh, even for those of us who had good parents, um, I was carrying some anger about my own childhood, which was frankly a blissful childhood. I mean, I wanted for nothing and I knew I was loved, but, um, and at, at a certain point in my adult life, I finally saw that the thing I was obsessed about was just people doing the best they could. And it, 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 it wasn't a failure. They were just trying to, they just did the best they could, the best they knew how. And I, I, I could cry and it release it. I released it and I became grateful. You know, so yeah, I think we don't ask for our lives. You know, they, they come about, it's beyond us to be that we're here. But it's a gift that we're here. And it's, and as I say, if we really see the truth, both of impermanence and of interconnectedness, you know, we can't not show up because we can't abandon everything, we can't abandon the world. If we abandon ourselves, we abandon the world. There's no separating ourselves. 
and that includes dying. Thank you. Thank you. David. Thank you, Choro, for the care that you put into this and that you shared with us. I, I'm great, so grateful for it. Can you please uh, repeat a section um, where you talked about your gratitude for your friend and for the events on Wednesday? Um, Tim said that you touched him and, and I felt like that touched my heart in ways that I wasn't expecting and I would love to hear it again, please. Thank you. Uh, I have to find it. I think I said, I think I said that later. Um, is the part where I said, am I grateful as in happy that Christina died? Okay. Am I grateful as in happy that Christina died as she did? I am not happy, but I am grateful for Christina. I am grateful to Christina. I am grateful for the causes and conditions that brought us together. I am grateful I met Sojin Roshi and he was among my teachers. He is among my teachers. He is alive in all of us. I am grateful for the ungrateful people of no integrity who broke into the halls of Congress and showed us what no integrity and integrity can look like, who are helping to teach us. I am grateful for that the last four years or 400 years as they manifest here and now teach us about the truth of no separation and that everyone is our mother and father, everyone is Sangha and the great earth is the true human body. David. I want to say that I'm aware that that loss and death are are part of many of our lives right now that some of us have suffered particular losses and gotten bad news like I had this week what what is actually life unfolding but it it feels it's hard to bear so um, thank you for listening and I hope it's been helpful to some of you was helpful to me to share it with you.